Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. And I'm Emmett. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie and popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today we are continuing our listener-submitted and selected miniseries, Won't You Take It To Waititi Town? <laughs> Covering every film directed by Taika Waititi, we will fully spoil today's film, Hunt for the Wilder People, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Emmett, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully this evening. How are you, Wade? I'm doing good, especially good. Because today we're honored to have a special guest returning to the pod. Please welcome Molly Lovejoy. Thank Woo! you guys for having me back. Returning <laughs> to the pod with a little bit of ice on them fingers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I'm really thankful that you guys offered to have me back, even though I specifically asked for this podcast when I was on the podcast last time. Um, because my <laughs> boyfriend at the time, now fiance, is Pretty much only attracted to my podcast voice. And I was like, I can't do it unless I'm on a podcast. So I'm happy to be back and to fulfill (laughs) that need for Andrew as an engagement present. Wow. Congratulations. (laughs) Well, Andrew, thank you for listening. And thank you for, you know... <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Oh my God. Taking a wild person off the market. <laughs> you know, another Molly, Zach Stoltz and Molly Penny also got engaged since their last Cinema Bums appearance. I was going to say if your name is Molly and you want to get married, come on this podcast, and chances are within like three to six months of being on this podcast, you will in fact be engaged. Yeah, there's a 100% success rate, apparently. Yeah, so <laughs> that's far. That's true. That's how we should get new guests on, is like advertise it as a dating, <laughs> a dating get-rich-quick scheme, basically. <laughs> it's like the Meghan Markle engagement chicken. She made a chicken for the Prince what? Harry, and then he proposed. There's a one roast chicken recipe that if you make it, your significant other will propose. And that's how she locked down Prince Harry. Wow. Interesting. Was it that same night when she made the chicken? Yes. Wow. The proposal chicken. <laughs> proposal chicken. It's like a real thing. Google it. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So as you said, Bali, you called this before Boomtober was even on the menu. Yeah. I knew that it was going to come around. <laughs> Pretty wild. So you have obviously seen this movie before. I mean, what's your history with Taika? Yeah, this is um, the first Taika movie I saw. Um, I saw it shortly after it came out, um, probably early 2017. Me too. Me too, girly. This yeah. is my first time. <laughs> friend of Emmett and I's, maybe friend of the pod, Susie Kennedy, introduced it to me because she had a dog named Ricky Baker. And so <laughs> it was, she introduced it to me to tell me why her dog Um, Like a little bulldog was named Ricky Baker. And I like fell in love with it. I love the story. I love the acting. And I am in general love New Zealand. So it's um, Mm. it's been really fun to watch again and see after a couple years have passed how much it absolutely holds up. Mm -hmm. Have you been to New Zealand? I have been to New Zealand. 
I was loving that Sunday a couple weeks ago was saying that uh, <laughs> New Zealand is full of like awkward yeah. and boring people because I, that's certainly true. But they're also my favorite people in the world. Like when I was there, I fit in. <laughs> um, so yeah, we went in twenty. 20- 19 and then we were supposed uh-huh. to go back in 2020 but a couple things happened to slow that down so now planning to try to go for the women's world cup in 2023 we'll see molly how would you say that new zealand as another kind of like sovereign island nation compares to ocracoke the place where we both grew up <laughs> i would say that it is the Pacific counterpart to Okriko. <laughs> That's kind of what I've gathered from watching these movies. So I'm glad you can confirm it here. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I think maybe that's why I like it so much as it feels like a different type of my home. And what about the other Taika movies? Um, which of them? I started watching Eagle versus Shark after I listened to the podcast and it was just like too painful for me. I'll probably get mm-hmm. through it eventually, but I just couldn't do it right <laughs> then. Um, and you made me really excited to watch Boy, something I've never seen, but I have seen all the others. Um, I really like Ragnarok as well. I think that it's very New Zealand. Uh, and I think that's kind of cool that he was able to inject that into the mcu and then jojo rabbit's great as well um i saw that one in theaters right before everything shut down i think like a late run of it oh yeah that's cool yeah was he your champion all the way through thumbs over (laughs) i will stand by mamma mia (laughs) until i die Uh it didn't last nearly long enough i think it was a first rounder wasn't it i believe it was day one yeah. Mamma Mia was out. Yeah, that to was Wes Anderson. Pr- pretty brutal to put it up against Wes Anderson. I might have voted for Wes Anderson, to be honest, because that's a better <laughs> series. But I really did have big hopes for Sunday being on for Mamma Mia. And so, like, didn't quite pan out that way. But okay. after that, pretty consistently all the way through, I was going for Taika. Even though now I kind of wish that I hadn't been because the series name's a little challenging a <laughs> little bit of a stretch <laughs> did you hear our scream series thing <laughs> yeah that was a great title and i stand by it <laughs> that was our fiona apple era of cinema bums <laughs> miniseries names titles hey i love that y'all are just putting the work in look how many other podcasts come up with a new podcast name Every, like, somewhere between 10 and 5 episodes. Sometimes less. Yeah. You know? We are doing that for you and for no one else. I mean, really for ourselves, but... What's the best one? Cold Boy Summer? Cold Boy Summer? Well, of course. I thought that one was really funny. There were so many good ones. I'm looking it up. I've got them all on my computer. (laughs) Can You Feel the Bums Tonight is a good one, I think. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh, and I loved those kids on for Lion King. They were oh, my gosh. favorite guests of all time. <laughs> yeah, we need to have Modesta and Akiva back whenever we uh, do something remotely appropriate for children again. <laughs> well, Jojo Rabbit has kids in it, right? Ah, uh-huh. yes. <laughs> the perfect family-friendly affair. Honestly, I bet they'd have really interesting things to say about it. I'm sure they would have been in any movie. Yeah. I feel like this is the most, Hunt for the Wilder People is the most family-friendly of all the Taika movies. 
for sure. I definitely agree with that. Because the first two are pretty R-rated, and I think even more... I think JoJo's PG-13, but that's got the F-bomb at the end, and it's just, like, darker in general. Yeah, I would not worry so much about the F-bomb, but perhaps ScarJo and that. Wow, what about not spoiling any yeah. future entries in the series? Emma? Okay, we're not going to spoil any future entries in the series, but I'll just say that Scarlett Johansson's turn as a tree in that movie is incredible. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Have we never talked about Scarlett Johansson on an episode? We, we haven't yet. We and have on almost every single episode, but have we never covered a movie that we has never talked about a movie that had Tibet, the greatest actress in current existence, Scarlett Johansson. I can't tell if that's a joke or not. It's it's not a joke. It's if she a is, joke. Okay. <laughs> Good. She I could, was like a she little could be, concerned. Molly, she could be anyone. She could be anyone at and all. And she's proved it. Yeah. She's proved it multiple <laughs> times. Was she not in Get Out? <laughs> oh, good stuff. Okay, let's get some general reactions to this movie. And I'm going to start with you, Molly. Flop or bop to hunt for the wilder people? Huge bop. Just like such a great energy throughout the movie. It kind of covers some complex themes. The characters are all really likable. Sam Neill is incredible in it. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's like a very aesthetically pleasing, interesting, captivating film. And I would watch it a thousand more times. Yes. Emmett, Emmett, was this your first time watching this movie? This was my first time watching this movie. And while I will say that it is a bop, I will say that it is the least interesting of all the movies that we've seen so far for Taika. And I think it is like a significant dip in quality of filmmaking. (laughs) And all of the interesting stuff about this movie, I feel like I had already seen. And everything else, I was like, this doesn't seem like as much full-blown Taika as everything else we've seen so far. Yeah, what do you mean when you say least interesting? Like the story? Yeah, I mean, both the story and just like... Like, the child performance in Boy is unrivaled. It is incredible. And while this kid is, like, pretty funny and pretty good in this, he gives, like, a heartwarming, you know, performance. It felt more like a movie that someone else would make, if that makes sense. It felt the most Mm -hmm. like a movie that anyone else could have made out of all of these that we've seen so far. Yeah, I think it's not. A, I don't think it's as funny either. So I don't think it has like the same propulsion as the other ones do that gets it going. But it is similarly not seem to be pulled together by a plot. <laughs> yeah, Wade, thoughts? For me, it's a bop. I love this movie. <laughs> this is the first Taika I saw as well in the lead up to Ragnarok. So it really made a big impression on me there. But I do think that like. This is one of the movies that I think is like in the upper echelon of being so good without sort of having to be dramatic or dark in any big ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of reminds me of like one of the Toy Story 2 or 3 <laughs> where it's like so good and emotional and funny and not like a depressing drama, but like mm-hmm. is absolutely as good as something like that. And I think, like Molly said, there are such good performances, specifically the lead two, 
and some of the filmmaking. I think watching it this time, I was really struck by like, it opens on a bigger shot than anything we have ever seen in any Taika movie. Like it's really clear. He has like a much bigger budget and he has those sweeping shots of New Zealand and their journey. Mm -hmm. And I love the ending for me. Like the ending is what makes the movie work. Like when it gets that big and that funny, that is like what seals the deal for me on like the whole movie working. And also I think it's kind of Taika's audition for Hollywood films. Mm -hmm. Um, Because this is still a New Zealand one, as we should mention, this is his fourth New Zealand film and his last, his first American film is Thor Ragnarok, which is pretty wild. I was um, listening to some interviews today that he had given about the time it came out. And he kind of went into um, great detail in a lot of those about how much he wanted to make movies that didn't feel bad, that just felt good to the viewers because it was 2016. And Mm -hmm. he said, Mm -hmm. like, quite clearly, like, you know, things feel really bad right now on a global scale. And it's so important to have these sorts of things that people want to go and escape from the real world into. So I think that was certainly like an intention throughout the entire process for him. And to that point, I also feel like the movie is a really, like a really harsh indictment of the foster care system. Mm. Yeah. In like a huge way, but manages to do that while being so crowd pleasing and fun and where you're not really thinking about it in that way. Yeah. Which I think Thor Ragnarok does with the immigration system, too. Yes. And just from like that initial scene with whatever their equivalent of CPS is, where she says, like, we'll have to check the house to see if it lives up to our rigorous standards. And then she's like, yeah, it looks good. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, there were just a lot of parts through it that felt pretty authentic from what I have heard about the foster care system in general. Mm. Yeah, Made me want to be a foster mom, an auntie. Mm. Andrew would be a great uncle heck. <laughs> That's very funny to think about. Yeah. <laughs> I would always leave the hottie in the bed and a sharp knife to kill monsters. <laughs> How about Sam Neill in this, Evan? How about you're a big Jurassic Park fan? I am How a big Jurassic Park fan. Old grizzled Sam Neill's performance of this. I think it is good. To me, the only other thing that I really think about Sam Neill from is Jurassic Park. And to me, I'm like, oh, so he doesn't like kids, and at the end of this movie, he's gonna like kids. Cool. <laughs> I think I've seen Sam Neill do this before. <laughs> And so, I mean, I don't know. I was thinking a lot about that while I was watching this. (laughs) I was also thinking a lot about, is Sam Neill really from New Zealand? And it turns out he is really from New Zealand, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah. Until today (laughs) and Wikipedia. He could still get it. He could get it in Jurassic Park. He can still get it now. (laughs) (laughs) Even in the Ugg boots at the end. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? That's a fair point. Okay, let's uh, let's get into some of the stats before things break out into all-out war here, as I feared they may. This is the fourth film written and directed by Taika Waititi. It was adapted from the 1986 novel Wild Pork and Watercress by Barry Crump. 
Anyone here read any Barry Crump? Don't think Can't so. Can't say that I have. So I looked him up. He's sort of like a Bear Grylls, Crocodile Dundee sort of figure mm. for New Zealand. Like a wilderness man. And he has all these sort of grizzled man in wildlife books. So is is this a novel? Yeah, it's okay. a novel that, okay. that he wrote. I heard that it has the same plot, but it like takes place over four years and has a much more serious tone. Hmm. The ending is the big difference where in the end they like basically escape and go off together. And then it cuts to like years later when where people like find their bodies and they just like died in the woods together eventually. Woof. But the little tribute to him in this movie is that he did a series of Toyota commercials (laughs) in New Zealand in the 80s where he would drive like this red car through the wilderness and Toyota would be like, our cars are so tough that even Barry Crump can <laughs> can survive in them. <laughs> and it is the same car in this oh, movie. That's cool. That's That cute. they call Crumpy. That's cool. I love that. Look yeah. at that fun fact. Score in this movie by the Phoenix Foundation, the same guys who did Eagle vs. Shark and Boy. Mm-hmm. Runs one hour and 41 minutes, Taika's longest movie so far. It was released March 31st, 2016 in New Zealand and June 24th, 2016 in America. As we said, it is still a New Zealand production made for four and a half New Zealand dollars, half of which were paid for by the government. Four and a half. Four and a half dollars. Yep. Yes. Four and a half. (laughs) New Zealand dollars. (laughs) And they did a great job with what they were given. (laughs) No millions involved. And the government did pay for two and a quarter of those dollars. (laughs) And it made $24 million worldwide. Was at the time critically beloved, made many best of lists, and was his highest rated so far of the ones that he had released at the time it came out. And also, I think it bears noting that he had been announced as directing Thor already by the time this came out. So I feel like there was much more attention on this movie than his other stuff. Also, because what we do in the shadows is so popular at this point. Emmett, how would you describe the plot of Hunt for the Wilder People? Okay, so a young child who's been in several different foster homes is sent to live with two foster parents way out in the middle of nowhere in New Zealand, close to the bush. Pretty soon after he he starts to like settle into it, he's been like a kind of a problem kid, but pretty soon after he starts to settle in, his foster mother dies suddenly, and they find out that the foster people are about to take him back and put him in juvenile detention. So he and his grizzled foster father, as we mentioned before, played by Sam Neill, decide to run away into the bush to escape the authorities. And what ensues is, what, like a five-month-long chase of them uh, through the woods? Mm. And as they both learn to process the grief of the foster mom's death and other emotions that they are not expressing, finally coming to an exciting almost shootout in a used car lot or something like that. And then finishing up with our beloved hero being welcomed into a new home and taking his old grizzled foster dad after he gets out of jail along with him. A wonderful romp for the whole family through the (laughs) wilds of New Zealand 
featuring many run-ins with some dumb hunters and some even dumber police officers. That have I missed any major points? No, I think you got it. I I would say that for me, like the tension in the movie rises for like the first 45 minutes and then it's kind of like an odyssey with all these misadventures as Emmett was saying and it isn't necessarily like things aren't necessarily getting worse they're just always bad and bad in different ways and you just kind of have like five or six of those little adventures and then you're at the adventure that is the big climax and it all ends yes all divided up by chapter headings also which maybe are from the book or maybe are inspired by the book. Yeah, could it be. I think there are 10 chapters in an epilogue, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I was reading um, that he said he did his first draft of this in 2005. Whoa. He tried to do more of a direct adaption of the book and then mm-hmm. realized that like he could leave the parts that he didn't want and kind of transform it into this episodic sort of adventure comedy rather than the original. I think you did a good job. I love it. I'll fight you, Emmett. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying it's the least good of the all of the Taikas that I've seen. Even Eugle versus Shark? Yes. Which still makes it much better than most movies. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I just think it has the least interesting things going on, the least to, like, get into. The whole, like grizzled old man befriends child narrative to me as the child of a grizzled old man is not particularly interesting i'm like (laughs) oh yeah grizzled old men can love kids too it doesn't do anything for me as a as like a whole plot arc maybe it does something for other people but i feel like the idea of a reluctant father stand in slowly becoming less reluctant over the course of a movie is not particularly original or better pulled off in any way here than it is in other films that I can think of. He keeps saying he likes it and then rags on it <laughs> for long, long periods here. Okay, fine. You like it. <laughs> I feel like part of what's unique about the dynamic is the kid and like this specific kid. And that's part of why I love it He's so much egg. the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As someone who also lived the Skuck's life, you know, I know all about it. Mm-hmm. Tupac, a famous rapper who's also his best friend. <laughs> I feel like he is so good at doing specifically the same delivery that Taika would do. Like the mm. way he says some of the Taika lines is so good. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. He's got the whole kind of vibe down pat. And you sent us that car advertisement earlier that they had filmed right about the same time, right? Uh-huh. Did you guys watch that? I did watch it. Yeah. I really liked it. I'm sorry I didn't <laughs> respond to your text, Wade. Oh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, I just liked seeing kind of a taste of them working together before this. Um, and it's clear that he would want him back because it seems like they have good director-actor chemistry. Yeah, anyone listening should look up this anti-drug PSA that Taika directed. It's like two minutes long. It's very funny. Uh, It may shock you to hear that it is about three kids sitting in a car (laughs) while their parents are not there. (laughs) Uh, But it's the first thing he did with Julian Dennison, who plays the kid. 
And who goes on to play the kid in Deadpool 2. A film I have not seen, but maybe will one day. Yeah, all the better for it. <laughs> that's another That's another film about a reluctant father figure slowly <laughs> becoming less reluctant. I'm not saying it does it better. It certainly does it much worse. But I'm just saying we're not like low on that type of story. Yeah. If Deadpool is doing it. Well, Molly, what are some more things you like about this movie? I just think it's like very quotable. Uh huh. Uh huh. I think there's a lot of characters that I really like. Like, I have been thinking about who my MVP would be because I feel mm. like there are a lot of good options. And I just like the Maori influence quite a bit. I think they've done a good job with that, especially because the Ricky Baker character is of Maori descent. Just kind of that connection to being in nature and also him saying, like, I'm going to shoot the British invasion um, <laughs> to protect my wives. I love that. Oh, yeah. I love the um, the dad who eventually becomes his actual dad. <laughs> tells him hashtag stay Maori and like takes all the pictures with him. And he's like, we need <laughs> yes. more kids like you, bro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, I love that guy. Yeah, I just think it's just such a feel-good kind of fun movie and I love that it's not two hours long. I'm so sick mm-hmm. of two hour long movies or three hour long movies. And so if you can do it in a crisp one hour and 30 minutes or whatever it ends up being, I love that. I am always on board for that. That is my ideal movie length. And I think it does a good job of telling the story. And I think it's aesthetically very beautiful. Um, There's the scene Mm -hmm. where uh, the camera circles twice, kind of Mm -hmm. in the middle-ish after the snow starts. And they show like the different periods of, of them walking through the woods and people looking for them and the hunters going out. I just love that, that long clip. And that was done in camera. That's not edited together. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's there's really this cool. awesome New York Times video where Taika like breaks down how they did it, and it's basically just that there are like a ton of stand-ins wearing the same costume. You'll see like Ricky's back in one, and then in the next shot, like he'll be there in the foreground with his face, but it'll be Sam's back, and it's just really cool. But that they did that all in one actual take. I love that. That's really cool. And then like the one cop just eating trail mix every time <laughs> they go by him. Yeah, love that. It reminded me a lot of the the shot in uh, the Green Knight, where it goes around mm-hmm. and you see the skeleton, and then it goes back around. Yeah, I felt like talking about the visuals that we got back to some of like the symmetrical framing that was a big deal in Eagle versus Shark, and he hasn't really done since. I also wondered if that was the same room from Eagle versus Shark that Ricky is in at the very beginning uh, in the house. It looked very similar. They've only got one bedroom soundstage in Wellington. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, There's a boy connection in this too, Emmett. Did you catch it? Which which one? It's a name reference, which is that when Ricky is reading his first haiku Uh, about the kid that he hates, uh the name of the kid is the kid from Boy Who's the Bully with the thriller jacket. Oh, whoa, I did not catch that, but that does make sense. He would hate that guy. Although it's probably a very different time period. But that's cool. I love when that is cool. people tie those things together. I love his haikus. 
Yeah, I was going to ask is, if you liked mm-hmm. the haikus. That's very fun. Yeah, it truly really gets me at the end when <gasps> when Sam Neill reads his haiku that he's been working on. Yeah, it makes me cry. <laughs> Their like, bunk bed confession scene right before the finale is also so good. Yeah. So sweet. And I just love, you know, and it, he's quiet after he reads the haiku and... You know, you can feel that sort of anxiety from Ricky. I just, yeah, I think it's so sweet. I love their yeah. relationship. I think it's done better than other grizzled old men co- coming around to loving children. I feel like it because you can so clearly like see where both of them are at every moment. You understand more where Sam Neill is coming from as the movie goes on. Hmm. I like the part where he tells him that the reason he was in prison was for accidentally killing a guy in a fight in like a bar fight. And then right after that, we get the part where he's like, they're going to send me to juvenile detention. Like I'm not going to another foster home. I'm going to prison. And that's when Sam Neill's character makes the choice to like help him. Like he said, he realizes that's unacceptable. He's been there. He's not going to let him go there. So that I, I really thought that that was, like yeah. one of the best moments in the movie. It made me think about how insane it is that Juvie is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. It is wild. Have you, either of you ever been inside a juvenile detention center? No. I have not, but a guy in my middle school who I was decently close to went to Juvie for a year. Wow. Wow. I have been inside one before, not as an inmate, luckily, but as an outside person. And I've never been inside a prison either, but it looks the way that I would imagine a real adult prison to look. And it is like messed up. It's bad enough that we put children in public school where they have to sit for eight hours a day, like at little desks. But the fact that you would lock someone up like that at that young of an age is absolutely inhumane and just should not exist. It's um, yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. I would strongly recommend if um, the book punching the air, if you guys have heard of it or not, I think it won some awards, but it's written in verse by one of the exonerated five. Mm. It's just like very beautiful, but a story of a kid who goes to juvie. It's a really quick read, but like could not recommend it enough to every single person in the world um certainly worth the time because it is kind of based on his experience in prison as a young man but yes i agree that it is like unbelievable that this is a real thing that real people have to live with and it's so i mean it just drives the point in so much more and also is funny every time you hear Rachel House like listing the things that he's done wrong, <laughs> which are like uh-huh. kicking things, spitting on things. <laughs> it's just like the normal list of preteens. <laughs> yeah, basically preteen bingo. <laughs> Does anyone have a favorite joke? You mentioned it being very quotable, Molly. Just any we want to shout out here? I like when at the end, the CPS woman tries to go like all American cop TV show. And the guy, the guy's like, that's not a thing here. Um, yeah, I love the guy asking for the selfies. Uh huh. The one where they're like, why do you think he's called Psycho Sam? And then he brings them the colanders for their head. And he's like, never mind. I love Psycho Sam. <laughs> the best. He's so funny to me. 
Yeah, I've been holding off because I think I'm going to have to mention him later. So Okay, okay, okay. Played by Reese Darby, of who's the leader of the werewolves in What We Do in the Shadows. Emmett, any, any lines, jokes you want to call out? Well, okay, so I love the whole setup and the, the pull-off payoff for this, which is he burns down the barn with like an effigy of himself inside <laughs> saying that he's killed himself so that nobody will come looking for him. And just first off, the note is very funny. I think it says like, yes. I goodbye, cruel world. I've burned myself to death as you will see if you look inside this barn. And then of course he puts it on the barn, which he burns down too. So he didn't think that went out either. And then when she goes to like, she's looking at the barn. She's like, this isn't a, a burnt up foster kid <laughs> and throws the pan at the cop. <laughs> That's good. That's good stuff. She's got so much good stuff in this movie. Yeah. She's oh, yeah. I feel like she's got all of the good one liners. The this. Terminator line as well. <laughs> like from the first movie before she could do a chin up. <laughs> Oh, that's good. The part at the very end where they're just all, where it's just like super cut of everybody talking to the cops. And he's, mm-hmm. he's like, and then I said, I was like the Terminator. <laughs> and he said, and I said, I didn't choose the Scuck's life. The Scuck's life chose me. <laughs> but just like totally deadpanning it. Everybody. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Ricky really is a huge part of why I love this movie so much. Um, I love when he's suggesting that Samuel just get another wife, like immediately after she has died. (laughs) He said, I've heard there's lots of women on the internet. (laughs) Too soon? Um, I also love when he's reading the poster and he says, Caucasian. (laughs) Well, they got that wrong because you're obviously white. But my favorite, the joke that got me the most, at least watching it this time, was like the detective partner when they're going through the rubble trying to figure out, you know, what happened. And he goes, well, something's obviously happened here. What I want to know is what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just think it's a like completely quotable film in every way. Yeah. It's Captain Ron level good. I've never seen Captain Ron. That is must immediately be rememedied right now. You've like, never seen Captain the Ron? Pause the podcast. Okay, seriously. Go like We're hanging it. up and then we're coming back and talking about Captain Ron for an hour. <laughs> Molly, this is your official invitation to be on the April 1st episode talking about Captain Ron. I'm ready. The best birthday <laughs> gift in the world to talk about Captain Ron. Oh my god. Yeah, for real. And we could have my dad on that episode too, because it's his favorite movie. Yeah. It would be an all-star. It's an incredible film, Wade. Kurt Russell, Martin Short. Those kids. That Those funny kids. kid from the 80s. Those kids. <laughs> Sand Palm de Terre. That means Saint Potato. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. Well, I believe in Jesus and that helps. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I'm I am distraught, but we'll move on. <laughs> it's not out of any sort of philosophical opposition to it. I just haven't seen it. No one sat me down and showed it to me. Needs to well, immediately be fixed. 
I can't believe I showed y'all Willow instead of Captain Ron <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> what a wasted opportunity. Kelly might actually have liked Captain Ron. <laughs> Maybe. We have now talked about Captain Ron enough that I know that Andrew is going to get subjected to yet another watching of it tonight. Um, anytime that I'm like <laughs> accidentally quote Captain Ron, it's like, you know, dawn comes early on a boat, happens every day just about sunrise. I say that all the time, and then I'm like, ooh, we should watch Captain Ron. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's going to be a fun evening activity tonight. <laughs> Do you remember the time that Caroline and I had a huge fight, and the only thing you could think of to calm us down was to watch Captain Ron and all of us worked. together? It and worked. it worked. It worked. <laughs> you could have said freedom fighters. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Full derailment. (laughs) (laughs) What I was remembering the other day, Emmett, was that the only time I have ever watched The Godfather was when you showed it to me on, I think, on VHS at your house. (laughs) Wow. And I feel like it was, like, broken up into two tapes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The Godfather's on two VHSs. Yeah, And I think that's because I'd only seen the second half of part two. And so I got all four cassette tapes from Charles <laughs> and we watched them sometime over that week where we were doing Romeo and Juliet. And God knows where I thought we had the time to do that when we were supposed to be rehearsing a play. But uh... <laughs> Okay, well, we mentioned <laughs> Rachel House, so it is time... For the house report. <laughs> oh, how did we feel about her in this movie? This is, I think, her biggest role, so far at least. She kind of is the third lead of this movie almost, as like the main antagonist of it. Is she in the other ones? She's in all of them, except for what we do in the shadows. Okay. I, I liked her the best in this one out of all of them. I mean, I've enjoyed her performances in all of them, so I just thought it was, you know, because we got more of her, it was very fun. And I think like, Like y'all both been saying, everything she says is pretty much... She manages to both be the antagonist and often the comic relief in this film, which is Mm -hmm. fun. It's like that classic Disney dumb villain thing, but if the jokes were actually good. So, love that. Yeah, I really liked her in it. I thought she did a great job in that role. She rocks. (laughs) Okay, MVP... MVP of this movie, other than the protagonist, I'm going to take off the board, our beloved Ricky Baker and Uncle Heck. Other than the two lead performances, what was everyone's MVP? Who was everyone's MVP? Molly, you have first pick. It has got to be Psycho Sam for me. (laughs) I love Psycho Sam so much, but he's like, a man or a bush? I was in. I was 100% committed to that character. And he just kept getting better. Every single thing that he said or did when he was like, the bunker. And then he pulled it up and was like, I haven't dug it yet. What have I been doing? (laughs) Yeah, just across the board, like this perfect... I don't know if he like advanced the plot in any way, real way, but I just found him to be like such a boost of adrenaline into the film at that point that was just like magical. I feel like he has a good point. You do have to fill out a lot of forms. In life. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I really was thinking about that. Yeah. I was like, okay, I could be on board with, I'll buy whatever you're selling at this point. Like, yeah. 
feels like he's going to die at the end. I'm glad that he doesn't. I had like misremembered it that he like blew things up as a distraction. And so I kept waiting for that. And then it just like didn't happen. I was thinking he was going to like blow up his whole house. But I'm glad he lived. (laughs) My mom was watching the last sequence of this film. I mean, she watched the whole thing with me, but she was watching the last sequence of this movie. And she was like, wow, they definitely have had a bigger budget on this than on the last couple. It's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely they did. Like helicopters, (laughs) a car chase. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I meant, who's your MVP? It's hard. I'm going to give it to the auntie, though. I think what she does at the beginning of this movie without, like, her warm energy at the beginning of this film, I don't think we buy the journey that these two go on kind of because of her absence. And I think she is weird enough and also kind enough that you believe it that it like all kind of clicks and i was genuinely sad that she died and wasn't in more of the movie but obviously also it's like it makes sense for this film but um it was interesting when she died too because that is like such a like usually death in films is like kind of led up to in some way or dramatized more but like in real life often sometimes people are just gone and and not to get too dark but like recently on Ocracoke that that did happen like where Mm -hmm. somebody who we all knew and loved and who we all thought like we had more time with was just kind of suddenly gone and that's uh I think there is like there is something interesting and cool to see that on film in that way and that like obviously that is just as painful as a long and you know drawn out and dramatic death is in movies and perhaps more real uh, to how things feel in real life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And they didn't weigh on it too long. I feel like it gave just enough, just enough honor to it to like, let you know that it really was sad and important to those characters, but then didn't linger in it to, so that we could kick into the real adventure. Yeah. I feel like he kind of does that with the dog death and the boar scene as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also with the, goat death in boy yeah like portrays it very realistically which i think for movies made at least with and by children if not for children is like a stance like a bold stance that is being taken by him you know i mean i would i would compare it to for instance mufasa's death in the lion king another Mm -hmm. big like a huge moment in that movie uh, that is like given all of its great dramatic weight and all of its tragedy and pathos. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is interesting as you say, to, to mark the difference there. That is a good point. And, you know, with the Disney connection, I also want to say, cause we've been tracking some of his outside work. I think we mentioned this before, but in between making boy and what we do in the shadows, Taika wrote the first draft of Moana, oh, right. which came out the same year as this movie and also stars Rachel house. Wow. As the grandma. Oh, wow. All the connections. Folks, start getting out your red string. Cinema Bums is going <laughs> to tie it all together for you. <laughs> yeah. He, I, he had a joke that the only thing that was left from his draft in the final version was exterior ocean. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. God, he's funny. Wade, who is your MVP in this film? 
Oh, tough, tough call. I really love Psycho Sam as well. I also like both of the police officers. I think I'm going to give it to, I don't even know his character's name, but the lead huntsman with the mustache. (laughs) Who's been in every single one of these movies, boy. Yes. Yes. Cohen Holloway is the actor who's been in all four of them so far. I think he's genuinely pretty sinister. Like, he has some kind of frightening, brooding stuff, especially in the first couple appearances. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other two guys with him, too, one of them is the police officer from What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, I knew I recognized him. And the other one is apparently uh, Stan Walker. He's the Australian Idol winner. He's a big (laughs) Australian pop star. Fascinating. It was just in this movie. Wow. I did like the Baba Ganoush bit <laughs> where they were trying to take their food. <laughs> okay, there's a joke. Uh, well, maybe it's not a joke, but I think there's a joke in that scene that went over my head. So I'm wondering if you adults can explain it to me, which is when they're like going through all of the stuff in their backpack and then they pull out rope and duct tape and everyone gets like kind of awkward about it. <laughs> But Julian, like the kid, just like keeps going through everything else. <laughs> yeah, I honestly did not notice that. I noticed that, but I thought it was because they were going to tie up both Ricky and Sam's character. And that mm-hmm. like it was kind of awkward that they were like acknowledging, oh, like you're out hunting for us and we're going to tie us up with rope and duct tape. I did not see any adult-themed joke there, but perhaps some more adult adult on the internet could tell us. But please, don't attach pictures. (laughs) Well, even that connection I didn't make, so that's good. Other questions I had from this movie. Did you guys ever run away as a child? Which this movie starts with Ricky doing. I don't think so. I think maybe, like... Emmett, you and I collectively talked about becoming like boxcar children. Right, probably. <laughs> but I don't think I don't think I ever like thought about running away. Where would we run? Then we'd run exactly. into a ferry. <laughs> exactly. The thing about Ocracoke is it's like pretty much like you can't run away because somebody would catch you at the ferry and then that would be that. I mean, that was like the thing with the guy who tried to steal a car on Ocracoke. He got caught at the ferry. It's a, there's really not much you can do. I do remember one time, though, I got in so much trouble for this. I one time helped Caroline run away. <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't have any ulterior, <laughs> ulterior motive for whatsoever. Was she a small child? Oh, yeah. I was, like, maybe seven. Okay. Maybe, which means Caroline was, like, four years old. (laughs) And what had happened was the night before, she had been dancing with some little tourist boy out at the Jolly Roger back when Martin Garrix used to play. Gosh, what was his name? Austin, I think. Austin with the cowboy boots. Yes, I remember that. (laughs) It was a famous episode. And so... She was dancing with him, and like he was saying in Teeter's Campground, so early the next morning, like 6.30 in the morning before either of our parents were awake, I somehow managed to get Caroline up and over the six-foot privacy fence in our backyard and was like, go find him. You should hang, like, you, you and him should run away together. That's good. 
And then, like, she was like, come on, you have to come, too. Like, I don't know where he's at. And I went over the fence, too. And the last thing I can remember about this is seeing my dad's car roll up (laughs) and just knowing we were both in deep. (laughs) But other than that. (laughs) Wade, did you ever run away? No, I definitely threatened to, I feel like, several times. I was a very dramatic child. I feel like I would, at least once I have a memory of being, like, very young, like, probably five, and, like, having a little backpack and walking slowly (laughs) towards the door and, like, seeing if anyone would notice and try and stop me. (laughs) There's a great Calvin and Hobbes cartoon about that, where he, like, packs up all his stuff and he, like, announces it to the whole house that he's leaving, and then he gets, like, down the block and realizes nobody's following him, and he totally freaks out. (laughs) I do love the, like, come back for pancakes and then you can leave after breakfast sort of approach that they have to running away in this film. Yeah. Yeah, it does look like a good pancake. (laughs) I love later when he goes... What? It was a relaxing sausage. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That, okay, so that scene always reminds me of Logan, which came out right at the same time. Like a similar, like they find a normal family. Mm. Grizzled man and kid on the run together find like a normal family and have like a brief respite for a moment. And I had forgotten that in this one, they actually do adopt him in the end, which I really love. Yeah. Talking about favorite jokes, I do love the joke where she's like, let me call in a helicopter. (laughs) (laughs) She's really good, too. That kid is also so good. Yeah. Yeah. She's on TikTok. I follow her on TikTok. Oh, wow. Just making content as we all are. Well, not me, but other people. (laughs) Well, you are right now. You're helping us. Yeah, that's true. We didn't talk about Taika's appearance in this film. And I really liked him as Uh, well as the minister. Like, what's behind that door? Vegetables. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I just thought it was, like, very fun and kind of typical, awkward minister sort of scene. And I liked that a lot for him. Before we get into final thoughts, I just want to ask, like, what do you think the arc of Taika's career is so far across these four that we've seen across basically a decade and four New Zealand movies. Okay. If I was just to like lay person describe each one, I would say like that awkward twee rom-com, right? Then we've got a truly personal coming of age story. Uh, We have got irreverent off the wall comedy. And then we have got like family adventure is how I, if is how I would track it. If I was like, just broad categorize each one mm-hmm. that feels like leading into Thor Ragnarok, which we know is coming next, the proper progression. Well, so I haven't seen Eagle versus shark or boy, but one thing that I do think is of note is just like how special it is that New Zealand has funded these films And given this incredible artist so much opportunity Mm -hmm. to experiment and grow as a filmmaker to get to the Mm -hmm. point where his first thing after this is to make a massive franchise film. 
And I think that really speaks to like the quality and the value that New Zealand places on art and artists. And I find that to be enviable and just like really cool. Yeah. And I mean, to put that in perspective too, I just looked this up. Like this is by far, I would say his highest budget he's worked with so Mm -hmm. far, which is $4 million. His next movie is a $180 million budget. But still like those skills translate over to that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Successfully. Yeah, and then he just put the Hulk in it to spend $100 million of that budget on the Hulk (laughs) CGI. Because he loves the Hulk, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this one combined a lot of the elements of previous ones. You know, like I felt like it had that like very pleasing symmetry of Eagle Mm. versus Shark. The kid stuff is obviously kind of like boy, but I also feel like this is more of a straight up comedy Mm-hmm. like what we do in the shadows like it's closer to a joke a minute sort of quota all the way through i think it's really interesting that taika who was raised by a single mother and grew up like without a real father figure has now made two movies about sons and fathers grieving lost mothers mm. like has now made two movies where a boy loses his mother and like has to work with his dad through that. But doesn't that also become a thing for Thor? Or is that not in Ragnarok? That happens in the the second Thor movie before Ragnarok. Okay. They lose their mother. So it is something that he will be dealing with in Ragnarok, right? Yes. That's interesting too. Good spotting, Wade. That is the tie that binds. Just interesting from someone who talks a lot about growing up with only a mother. That a lot of his movies are about people losing their mother i don't know if this is on that same tip or not i think it's completely different but i just like thinking about interesting stuff that happens in this movie like the kid and boy is like obsessed with like guns and violence right and like the little brother especially too and like they're all kind of like putting on this hard appearance but we have ricky for the first is the first kid who actually like commits real violence um when he kills the boar Mm. As his character's arc at the beginning of the movie, he would have thought that was like the coolest thing ever. But when it happens, he's like not excited about it at all. He just did what like needed to be done to save his dad. And then he's like completely freaked and walks away. And I think like that's a really interesting part of this too. Yeah. Which I think we'll revisit certainly in Jojo Rabbit and maybe in Thor Ragnarok in interesting ways, although it's not as much about children. Although, on the other hand, aren't all the Marvel superheroes kind of childish, like, in their own way? And I don't mean this as, like, in a negative sense, but just they they don't change. They, they have very set, bigger-than-life personalities and are very, very egotistical and easy to be offended, which is kind of similar to kindergartners so i feel like you're doing hawkeye way dirty the only good (laughs) the only adult avenger the only adult avenger (laughs) that is kind of true but i mean especially that's true for thor who has like been the same for like six thousand years yeah he's like he's like a very muscly very powerful himbo eight-year-old (laughs) yeah Yeah. okay final thoughts anything that we have not mentioned so far and want to 
Molly. I like that when he gets adopted by that family, they give him a hottie for his bed. I think that is just such a nice callback because she has it in the bed and then she dies and there isn't one. And then he has one in his new home. And I just love that, how that's all connected. I I will be completely honest. I thought it was a whoopee cushion. (laughs) Do you not know what those are? You fill them with hot water and it like warms up your bed for you. It's still like a very common thing in other parts of the world. When we were in New Zealand, we were there during the winter and our Airbnb had them for us. Uh-huh. So I would just like to say Taika Waititi always out here predicting the future. He knew all the way back in 2016 we were all going to be chiefing for some toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he runs from the outhouse with like an arm full of toilet paper. <laughs> that reminds me of another point that I would like to make, which is that in this movie and the last movie, I feel like Taika really understands the horror of being unclean. Mm. Like, I recognize a lot of things in these two movies that Taika is also a very clean man. I am not, I am not like a germaphobe or uh, really anything in that sort of sense. But like, I'm someone like if I don't take a shower every day, I start to feel weird. Not nothing against. I know lots of people don't. That's just like my personal how I feel. My body starts to feel weird if I don't, and I feel like these movies really play into that. This one especially. Yeah, I've loved talking about this movie. It's just like such a bop in every way. There's a lot to go through, even though there's not a lot of plot, according to Emmett. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's move on to our favorite part of each and every week. Our quiz, Bums the Word, where I have here movies, and I will be giving you two hints about them, and whoever can guess the most will win the quiz. Today our movies are taking a journey through the filmography of one Sam Neill. Oh, no! I know two Sam Neill movies. Three, I know. I guess three Sam Neill movies. Also, <laughs> I thought I had Molly beat, but it turns out we probably know the same three. Is this one of those three? Yes. <laughs> okay, four Sam Neill movies. <laughs> yeah, this is not going to go well. <laughs> Some of these, at least, you will have heard of, if not maybe know that he's in. But let's just, let's see how it goes. <laughs> Film number one is a 1981 horror film. This is sort of a cult classic movie because uh, it was released heavily edited in the United States. And it only came, like, kind of recently in its original form to the United States. It was, like, heavily censored when it came out. It is about a couple going through a divorce. And it is kind of about the psychological and literal horror being done between them. They did a remake? Uh, There's not a remake, no. A (laughs) re-release? I think there have been re-releases in recent years. Is this a... A New Zealand film? This is a French film. (laughs) That's even worse. (laughs) And Sam Neill is the lead. Give us the first letter. (laughs) Is it La Liaison d'Anzeus? It's an English title. The title is only one word. 
And it is a word that sort of relates both to marriage and to horror. (laughs) Marriage. (laughs) Specifically when we think about like old ideas of marriage and what it represents in kind of reductive ways. Like bound. Mm, mm. Mm -hmm. Are we on the right track? Yeah, you're not too far off from it. Committed. Um, no, that's a really good guess. It's, uh, the word is also, (laughs) the horror aspect is what happens if someone else is taking over your body. Possession. Yes. Okay. That is a point for Emmett for possession. (laughs) I think it's going to be just that bad for the remainder of the time, Wayne. (laughs) I think that maybe is the most obscure. But we'll see. Yeah, 1981 horror film. That year, Sam Neill was the lead in that and Omen 3. Mm. No kidding. Two horror movies that were kind of his breakout, which I think is interesting. Okay, film number two, a 1990 spy movie. This is uh, adapted from a famous novel. It is the first in a series of movies. Although this is one of the ones we talk about where you don't sort of think of it as a series, but it is. Is this The Hunt for the Red October? Yes, this is The Hunt for Red October. <laughs> that's the that's one of the three movies that I knew that Sam Neill was in. <laughs> oh, so okay. I was bound to get it eventually. Okay, have you seen it? I have not. I know it has him and Sean Connery, and that's all I know about it. Do your Sean Connery, Emmett. If I had... So... <laughs> I, sh- I, asked- I should have sent it to the Marx Brothers. <laughs> yeah, I just had to hear that one again. <laughs> okay, movie number three. This is a 1993 drama. This is a huge... Jurassic Park. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is his other movie in 1993. He has Jurassic Park, which is like the most commercially successful and he's also in like the biggest drama of the year other than schindler's other than (laughs) the second biggest drama of the year the biggest oscar winner tell someone else who's in it tell us someone else who's in it the lead in this movie is holly hunter it's from a female director a fame another new zealand director who i would say is the front runner this year for best director at the Oscars, oh once again. What to say about this movie? This movie is sort of about a love triangle. It's about Holly Hunter. Cruel intentions. Oh. <laughs> no. Holly Hunter is married off by her father to Sam Neill, who she's never met. And she goes to live with him in New Zealand. And while there, falls in love with Harvey Keitel. Ooh. That is the plot of this movie. <laughs> The title refers to something that she loves, an object that is the most important thing to her. The Black Stallion. (laughs) No. I don't know any 90s movies. (laughs) Emmett, we had this on a quiz once before this series, and I believe your mother successfully guessed it. And I still don't know it. (laughs) Everything you have said about this movie has made it harder for me to figure out what it was, not easier. I listened to that podcast. Like, I should know. 
Okay, the title is a musical instrument. Oh, is it Corelli's mandolin? Is it the piano? It is the piano. <laughs> that is three points for Emmett. Yeah, I'm starting to think having our group text read on air was better than this. <laughs> no, anything was better than that. <laughs> if listeners have noticed that I won't let someone fail a quiz these days, it's because I hate having to bring <laughs> the fail file and the win file both while editing the podcast. <laughs> So we will just keep going until they get it right. (laughs) Okay, film number four. This one should also be fun. This is a 1994 horror film directed by the legend John Carpenter. It is John Carpenter's H.P. Lovecraft horror movie. Would you say the year again? 94. 1994. Lovecraft. It's not The Thing, is it? That's much earlier, right? Nope, that's the 80s. The title, speaking of MCU, the title of an upcoming MCU movie is aping on this movie's title. The Multiverse. <laughs> that's that's the movie I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't Wait, know what, what the rest the of the of name of is. <laughs> What's the name of that movie? It's Doctor Strange. Love. <laughs> um. <laughs> no. The Call of Thulu? Cthulhu? <laughs> No, the part of the title that it's aping on is not the Doctor Strange part. It's the other part of the title. The edge of is it something? You're kind of, you're kind of getting the, close. Um, the edge the, of nowhere. It's in the. It is in the something. In the in the. Wait, is that the part that it's aping yeah. off of? The in the. Uh huh. Can I phone a friend? Um. In Let's the see. deep. No, it's like it's 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 an M, isn't it? Uh-huh. Okay, so the title <laughs> The title of the Doctor Strange movie is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Mad- okay, yeah. I knew it was double M. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's uh, not how in- it's a reference to this title. In the Museum of Madness? No. In the Mausoleum of Madness. <laughs> no. Something more personal than that. Something more personal in the marriage of madness? No. Is it an M? Mm-hmm. In the mother's house. <laughs> no. Guess, no. I guess not. <laughs> Sorry. Mirror? In the mirror, mirror of madness? madness. Personal. Personal as in, like, physically personal. Mouth of madness. Is madness... In the mouth of madness? That is what? correct. <laughs> That, that is one point for Molly. Yeah, that's, that is a real stretch. <laughs> in the mouth of madness. Yeah, never heard of wow. that. Yeah, he was really, <laughs> in, he was really in his at- Fiona Apple phase when he did that one, huh? <laughs> We're only on number five? Yes. I'm sorry, Wade. I'm sure you thought that we'd be better at this. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, no. After the past several quizzes, we're well aware um maybe as these get these are in chronological order so maybe as we move up they might get a little easier so what you're telling me is that jurassic park is not on this list uh, jurassic park the, the Lost original World. jurassic park no he is not in that one what's he what's the third Lost one called okay uh <laughs> film number five is a 1997 horror film 
I have never seen this, but I have heard that the title for this has kind of become like it, like sometimes used to refer to something that is like massive or apocalyptic or like an oncoming doom. Armageddon. No, but it is basically a title that that kind of means Armageddon, which I think is what it signifies in the movie. It's, it's set in space. Is it set in space? Is it Deep Impact? (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's another two-word title. It's the whole thing is set in space, or it's about a space crisis. I have not seen it. I believe simply called Space Crisis (laughs) because that's a great name for a movie. (laughs) I believe that the whole thing is set in space. I believe it's about like a. Spaceship that comes through that seems empty at first, and then you discover more horrible things about it. Is it Apollo 13? (laughs) No. Is it Dead Space? No. These are all great guesses. I don't really know how to. It's a two word title. title. It's a two word title. And it's not Deep Impact. (laughs) No. It's about like aliens. Yeah, I think so. Anyone, who else is in this? <laughs> okay, the lead in this movie is Lawrence Fishburne, and Sam Neill is the the second lead. The tagline for this movie is "Infinite Space, Infinite Terror." <laughs> well, that's terrible. <laughs> and you're saying like the movie, the name of this movie has become like common parlance for something like the apocalypse or Armageddon. I have heard people use it that frequently. Way. I wouldn't necessarily say frequently or commonly, but I've heard people joke about like this title, but I really don't know how to hint at it. Any- I don't know how to hint at it in a way that will not make it like more confusing. Just give us a letter. The first letter is E, the first letter of the first word. Earth death. Earth death. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> People say that. We need to time travel back to 1994 and pitch a movie just called Earth Death. It is kind of like a general word and then a nature related word. But these are seemingly two random words put together. Oh, no. like it is not... it's, it's in that it's in that realm of um. of title. Yeah, like there's it's not like a phrase before this. Mm-hmm. Is the first word end? No. Mm. The first word is a word for, like, (laughs) when you have something going on. Event horizon. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That is correct. The event horizon. (laughs) Great job. Thank you, Emmett. Thank you. I feel like that was a group for win injecting for us. us we should out both, of that. <laughs> I think we should both get a point for that. I'll give a point to both. I don't care. I'll absolutely give a point to both. And so you have heard of that title, Emmett. Yes, now now that I have said it, it does seem like a title which I may have heard once before. <laughs> okay. Okay, well now we're in the final five. <laughs> oh gosh. Movie number six is a 1998 Western directed by and starring Robert Redford. This is about the connection between a person and an animal. And that is that is both what the movie and the title are about. Lonesome Dove. Um, that's no. an old movie, I think. A Man and His Horse. 
the title of this movie is another one that kind of got into like public lexicon referring to like a person who is close to an animal or interacts with an animal in a certain way. Horse whisperer. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) The horse whisperer. So one of the more sensual Robert Redford Westerns. (laughs) Exactly. For the strange crossover between people who love Westerns and people who love ASMR. (laughs) Uh, It's Robert Redford in the horse whisperer. Movie number seven is a 2001 action film. Jurassic Park three film. (laughs) Yes, Jurassic Park three. (laughs) That is correct. Can you believe that movie came out in 2001? Yeah, and the first one looked that is wild. Way more aesthetically pleasing. Well, I don't think we'll ever be able to talk about this on the podcast, so I just want to say right here and right now that Jurassic mm-hmm. Park 3 slaps. Watch it again <laughs> okay. now, and you will agree with me. Don't at me. I mean, you can't, so don't. <laughs> but if you, even if you were going to, don't do it until you watch the movie, man. It's great. It is a really good one. I haven't seen it in a long time. When we were in Hawaii, Andrew told me he had never seen any of the Jurassic Park movies. So I was like, okay, I think we're going to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> And you watch them where they were filmed. Good for you. That's incredible. (laughs) Movie number eight. This is a 2010 fantasy film, adventure film. This is an animated film with a bunch of talking animals. Zootopia. (laughs) This is the only animated film directed by Zach. Okay, never mind. By whomst? This is the only animated film directed by Zack Snyder. Oh my gosh. <laughs> is it VeggieTales Passion of the Christ? <laughs> <laughs> um it is it's from a popular series of books. I remember my good friend Ben reading all of these books when we were in late middle school, early high school. 2010. Mm-hmm. Is it Guardians of Gahul? Okay. Okay. You're on to that. I believe that is maybe the book series title. No way. Is there any way you can restructure that into the insane title of this movie? <laughs> oh, wait. Gahul, Guardians of the Spark. <laughs> That's not too far off. Gahul, Guardians of the Mother Tree. Okay, you've flipped which order they come in. Okay, Guardians, the Gahul (laughs) story. (laughs) Okay, okay. I'll give you credit for it. Yeah, just give that. I've never even heard of this No, what is the name of of this movie? Yeah, so you're right. It's based on the Guardians of Gahul book. The movie is called Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. (laughs) And and Guardians Legend of the Spark of Gahul wasn't close enough for you? <laughs> no, it was close enough. You got the point. Okay, thank you. <laughs> also give a point for Ben as well for having read all this. That is one point to Ben. <laughs> Other actors in this movie in the height of 2010, Jeffrey Rush, Jim Sturgis, Hugo Weaving. Mm. And Helen Mirren. What? Wow. Did it get a theatrical release? Because there's yeah. nothing that kids love more than Hugo Weaving and Helen Mirren. 
Um, yeah, it, it earned 140 on an 80 million budget. So wow, did pretty good. Okay. Film number nine is a 2012 romance film. Uh, this is a film that I always assumed was based on a book written by Nicholas Sparks, but I'm reading that it's not. The Vow. That is wow, correct. I can't believe it. <laughs> I only know that because I always think that movie is by Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> it sounds like it would be. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm so proud of myself. Excellent job. Movie number 10, our last of today, is a 2018 comedy film. This is another animated film about animals. Talking animals. Although, actually, I don't want to mislead you. This film also has live action actors interacting with Detective those Pikachu. Animated. No, that was like 2020. No. And Sam Neill is playing a live action character. It's for children? Yes, for children based on a classic book series. Winnie the Pooh. No, but in that vein. Is it the Christopher Robin movie? No. Okay. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Is it Paddington 2? Oh. No. Is it Paddington Peter what? Cottontail? Oh, it's Peter, um, Peter the, Rabbit. The rabbit. <laughs> yes, you it got is it. Peter Rabbit. I think uh, a point for at least for Molly. No, well, for you, both, you, you want, no, that was want, all you, you Emmett. A point for both. Our final scores here on how well we know old <laughs> Sam Neill. Seven points for Emmett, five points for Molly, and one point for Ben. Woo-hoo. Nice work. I think Ben Ben wins the game for having read all those terrible <laughs> owl books. <laughs> Legend of the Guardians. <laughs> you know that some like poor studio executive spent like weeks in meetings to try and come up with uh, Legend of the Guardians. You know they had to form a committee to form the committee that was going to write that name. <laughs> well... Molly, thanks so much for coming back. Yeah, home. thank you so much for having me. Even though I made you do it, um, I you were not given any choice, and then I had all my friends and family vote for this so that I could get my day in the sun. <laughs> well, you really manifested this whole series, so <laughs> yeah. I guess we should also be thanking you because I have certainly really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, so it's far. been so fun. I can't wait to see your your next couple films here, and I know you'll do a great job. Yeah, I got to say, my my final thought on this right now is like, when you realize at 930 at night that you have to record the podcast the next day, and you have to watch the movie like right then, it is so much nicer to be watching an hour and 40 minute Taika movie (laughs) than it would be to be watching, say, like a two hour and a half uh, Denny Villeneuve movie, even though I love Denny. So thank Mm -hmm. you. Absolutely. Anything you want to plug while you're here? Yeah, Molly? of course. Our podcast, Thanks for Watching, with Emmett's uh, lovely sister, Caroline Temple. Um, as always, mm-hmm. we are checking in with Chet to see what he's doing with his new personal <laughs> training business. So um, oh, no. wherever you get your podcast, one day. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you can listen for me back on here for Captain Ron and Mamma Mia. <laughs> yes. When, Excellent. This is this is us officially promising that we will do Captain Ron and Mamma Mia as a series together. <laughs> and Molly will just be our series of regular guest on those three films. Perfect. I think that adds yeah. up properly. 
Then it would be three, which is kind of the benchmark for us. So I can find another yeah. obscure movie that I love to throw into. So, well, it seems like whenever you're on and call your shot, it does end up happening. <laughs> so I'm yeah. sure that that will 100 percent success rate so far. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, coming up before Captain Ron in 24 weeks, Jordan Peele's Nope, and next week. Thor Ragnarok. That's our right. First MCU episode. Our first MCU. The podcast is crumbling under Emmett's feet. <laughs> I could not be more excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to have to go uh, on record saying that Thor Ragnarok is a great movie and so much better than any of the X Men movies we watched. So I hope you're prepared for it. Until then, stay frosted. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week. <laughs>